Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today we're talking about gender, identity, and stereotypes. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is Richard and I've got Ryan and Molly with me. Hello. Hello. Who clearly didn't want oh, to say hello there. Ryan. <laughs> Speaking of gender, if you can't hear the different tones. Okay. So for this topic, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by uh, telling you a story. And it comes from our main man, Preston Sprinkle's book, Embodied, which is a I think the best book he's ever written, actually. Really good book. So here we go. The The names have been abbreviated to whatever you do when you want to protect, protect the identity the of the person yeah, in the story. So KD grew up as the youngest of several brothers in a context where men were expected to be masculine and women to be feminine. Real men served in the military and women typically stayed home and made babies. Katie's brothers, naturally, joined the military and went off to war. They were the epitome of masculinity. KD, on the other hand, had another sort of gift. He loved to write poetry. KD struggled with many emotions throughout his life. Doubt, depression, anxiety. He also had times when he was so filled with joy he could hardly contain himself. Often he would grab a pen and bleed his emotions onto paper. Like many poets, KD also had a talent for writing and playing music. While his brothers were off at war, KD stayed home and wrote poetry and music, singing songs about nature, beauty, depression, God, and his best friend, John. John and KD were inseparable. They spent loads of time together and desperately missed each other when they were apart. KD vowed that he would spend the rest of his life with John, and John felt the same. They weren't sexual with each other, but they were more than your typical American male friends. When they were together, they would laugh, they would cry, they would talk, they would hug. Sometimes they'd even kiss, in a friendship sort of way. A few years later, John enlisted in the military and went off to war. He rose through the ranks and was a skilled fighter, but one day... John was killed in battle. When the news reached KD's ears, he was devastated. He fell into a depression. He refused to eat and he wept profusely. Once the tears dried up enough for him to see, KD did the only thing that could soothe his pain. He took his pen and poured out his heart in a poem, describing John's love as better than the love he felt towards women. After KD's own death, the poem would be published and read by millions. So moving, so intimate, so loving were the words of that poem that some people to this day believe that KD and John were gay. If you haven't caught it by now, KD stands for King David. So there you go. Boom, boom, boom. Mic drop. Yes. So we're just uh, controversial. We'll leave ten minutes for silence on the podcast, so you can just think <laughs> about that. Uh, yeah, for a while. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that's a really good biblical example to shake things up and kick us off thinking about this. Um, King David and Jonathan were not gay, but when we read their relationship, and that is not a parody of what the Bible says, that's just putting what the Bible says in a way that sounds like, oh, I thought you were talking about a contemporary 21st century person mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. Contextualizing. Yeah, contextualizing. But when we hear it, we can feel really uncomfortable. Um, so the question is, why? Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of challenge. Like, are we supposed to read about King David and Jonathan as biblically-based people? Like, our values, our norms, our reactions to things guided by like the spirit and scripture are we supposed to read about that relationship and be like yeah this was weird like this is this was a bad thing that david and jonathan Mm. did because you know that's not the way they were supposed to be or does the bible affirm their relationship and does the challenge cut the other way and make us think huh why does that sound unusual or abnormal to me Mm. right Mm mm-hmm Okay, I'm the only one that's spoken, so <laughs> I'm going to sip my water. Okay. Boom, go. I, I can start saying something. Um, what I find particularly interesting, and this is just like a, a small um, microcosm of what we're going to hope to get into today, but I find it so interesting that people are so uncomfortable with a description of friendship. And I think it speaks to like a vacancy in our culture that people, particularly Christians, I would say, but people in general are afraid of intimacy. They're afraid of and or don't know how to navigate what it looks like to be in deep biblical friendship with one another. And so when they read something like that, they have to assume that there is a sexual relationship going on because they don't have a box for people that could be that close in a non-sexual relationship. And I think it also speaks to the fact that we have elevated sexuality in such a way that when you hear a description of an intimate friendship you have to automatically assume that sexuality or sexual acts are accompanying such an intimate friendship because we don't have a box for uh intimacy without without yeah. having mm-hmm. to I mean, act it's on almost sexually. become you know if i said jane is really intimate with john yeah yeah that would have a connotation mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We don't have I mean, a box of French. Yeah. Of it's like the way we use the word now. Yep. The question is legitimately asked, uh, have you been intimate yes. together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, maybe by only certain aged folk who still uh, talk like that. But yeah. but that question is used and has been used, and I've been asked that question, um, to ask whether or not you've had sex with that person. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did intimacy and sex become... Just that's overlapping that's terms. That's a whole podcast. Like, yeah, I know. But, yeah. but like that's just mm-hmm. a... Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's interesting, Molly, <clears throat> you say about... Because I, I was thinking more of like their intimacy of relationship and some of, some of the ways David acts mm-hmm. is not what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of breaks the mold of expectation a bit. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about like there's something about us and like emotional... It's not just intimacy, vulnerability, but also the ability to communicate our emotions, things like this. Mm-hmm. And um, I, was, I was just thinking the other day how 
it's really interesting to see i mean this is like different layers to what i'm going to say there's a genderedness to the movie business hmm. like it's very male centric mm-hmm. which is recognized you know um i forget what it is there's that animated film where there's the little girl and she stumbles into a room with disney princesses mm-hmm. and they're like what Wreck-It uh, Ralph. Wreck-It yeah. Ralph. You don't oh. need a man to rescue you? She's like, no. And like, I don't understand you. Like, yes. It's just like prodding a little bit of that stereotype. But there's a ma- but one of the ways this manifests is like I was noticing even in like the classic comedy rom-com kind of movies with strong female characters, um, the storyline still like the tension that moves the narrative forward is nearly always, and you see it in sitcoms as well, is that there's a guy who's completely unable to communicate emotionally mm-hmm. and that drives all the tension mm-hmm. and then often in a very sort of childish way there's a sort of coming of age moment where he actually opens up mm-hmm. and it's like man how are we making so many movies where this is it's not just a plot device the reason it's used so much is it's a plot device that sells because people associate with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like how is this driving nearly every and i was struggling i was trying to think like what's a rom-com that doesn't use that as its main device yeah i was like i couldn't think of one yeah 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 so it's just very revealing of our culture Yeah. yeah and i think it also speaks to you know we um although in the 21st century, I'd be curious to see if you guys still think this way, but we've got deep roots historically in America and in the world in general. Uh, it's like structure. Especially in the West. Yes, in a patriarchal society, um, male dominated. And we've also simultaneously associated emotionalism with weakness, particularly mm-hmm. as it pertains to men, but also as it pertains to women. Yeah. So we've kept them. Especially to women. Yes. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost like, like you can imagine that clipped 1940s mm-hmm. Pathé video. Like, hey, you've become emotional, my dear. Calm down or I shall have to strike you. You know, like, <laughs> but you would never say that to a male character in a no. 1940s yeah. play. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. right. <laughs> and so we've we've taken this trope of emotion, like um, experiencing emotion, which is so entirely human, and we've attributed it to weakness. So men can't experience it or their masculinity is yeah. compromised. And then females have some sort of a permission to feel it, but then they get put in a category of lesser than, and then it feeds the stereotype of women are emotional and men are not. And so I think it's fascinating that King David, kind of bringing it back to that story, uh, is described as an emotional human being prior to the fact that he's male. He's an emotional human being. He pours his his heart out before God. And we resonate so deeply with the Psalms and and we have been blessed by his emotion Mm -hmm. until we start talking about gender. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, but, you know, know, he's he's male. And so the the suppression of emotions will be uh, attributed to strength. Mm -hmm. I think it's just fascinating. And I think you're right. You said I'm interested. Like, I think you're right. It is because it's a dual layered like as a woman people might expect you to be more emotional but that's not like a, oh you're a woman i might expect you to have longer hair mm-hmm. you know like oh that's just going to be different for you it's also got this twist of like you know like if you were nine months pregnant you'd be like oh you shouldn't lift that heavy thing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that's a kind of normative thing to think yep but i wouldn't also think 
oh, and it's wrong of you to not be able to lift the object, but I'm going to have this expectation, I'm going to project mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with you, mm -hmm. but I expect there to be something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. But emotion falls into that category. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does. And then it's contributed to an emotionally unintelligent society yeah. that mm -hmm. is destroying each other left, right, mm -hmm. and center because we cannot regulate our own emotions. We don't have a very high emotional EQ as a society. And we wonder why it's such a mess. We haven't prioritized yeah. healthy emotion. And not just that we don't. So let's talk about guys. We are going to get to the Bible in a minute. By the way. Like, <laughs> I've derailed us. Like, interesting. <laughs> but um, because you've got in it, like the our cultural roots, like the way patriarchy's played out mm -hmm. in society, um, you know, it's there's a reverse expectation mm -hmm. on men like that you will be kind of stoic, reserved, unmoved, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to cry when the baby's born. I mean, this is changing over time, yep. thankfully. Yep. Um, and that's which one of the interesting things, the male stereotypes, some of them have changed, whereas some of the female ones seem to be more entrenched, mm -hmm. uh, which is just another interesting. We'll have to get an anthropologist and sociologist on to talk about all this stuff. But, um, but the difference is, that for a guy to be sort of emotionally detached is expected, but it's seen as a strength. Mm -hmm. It's resilience. Yeah. It's the ability to push through and still be strong and do what you need to do. Right. In the midst of whatever may come your way. Yeah. In order to rescue and be strong for the ones, those poor women out there who are the damsel in distress and, and need help. Yeah. Because they don't have that resilience. Yeah. They have no means of pushing through the emotion. They just feel it coming on them at all times. Mm -hmm. And they're just subject to it. Yeah, yeah. So before we do cultural exegesis all day, which <laughs> would be amazing. but So we clearly in our culture have some really strongly defined ideas about male and female mm -hmm. and or masculine and feminine. feminine yeah. mm -hmm. So... And actually, to help us talk about this with clarity, should we just distinguish a couple of things there, right? So um, one of the differences between us three is our bodies are sexed mm -hmm. as male or female. So like that's one difference. And that's like sort of when the Bible talks about male and female and talks about the distinctions between us, it uses that sort of category of you're sort of physiologically different another conversation would be about like okay but is there a difference between how someone who has a sexed body that's male and someone who has a sexed body that's female lives acts feels thinks all of those things and that's when we get a bit more into like okay so there's a genderedness mm -hmm. of like are sexed males masculine and are sexed women feminine mm -hmm. so we have sort of gender and sex is a little mm -hmm. different. Male, female, and masculine, feminine is a little different mm -hmm. in terms of gender. Um, which now that language helps us think, okay, so what we've been describing is some very clear genderedness in of our masculinity. sort of expectations yeah. and culture, mm -hmm. right? So we've got those really strong entrenched ideas, which clearly we're talking about in a way that's like some of those need challenging so mm -hmm. you know where we're coming from um but 
I, and actually, I think I wonder if all three of us have bumped into this when we've pushed back on stereotypes. Have you encountered the sort of people haven't said, "Oh, so like, what do you think the Bible has to say about that?" But instead, almost an assumption of like, "Man, you're just being like motivated and pushed around by like." third wave feminism mm-hmm. and modern liberal mm-hmm. culture and mm-hmm. like you you shouldn't be having this conversation mm-hmm. okay yeah and ryan's oh, yeah. nodding yeah. yeah yeah so our our question then is like so we can see carrying strong gender stereotypes in our culture why we would walk into a story in the bible like king david and jonathan and it's our strongly inherited cultural ways of thinking and feeling about gender that are causing us like to not quite know how to feel because we're used to read. Actually, we don't always read the Bible in a like everything on every page. I'm supposed to feel happy about. Right. There's a ton of crap in there. Like people do bad things, <laughs> right? But there seems to be a real strong presentation of David and Jonathan as like this is a relationship and a way of being that is affirmed. Like no one would be like talk about emotion like mm-hmm. the Psalms. Oh yeah, like the Book of Psalms, like that's a part of Bible for women, right? right. Al- although I will say I've seen far more women's. I- I've not seen a men's study on the Book of Psalms. Yeah, no. So, well, but I've seen plenty of women's studies. So yeah, maybe I'm actually even there. I'm like, yeah, actually, people do. But we wouldn't if we were honest, thinking about like what's the bite like, what's the Bible like? Mm-hmm. Think, oh, the Book of Psalms is for women, right? And there's some psalms mm-hmm. talking about David and Jonathan's relationship mm-hmm. as well. So clearly affirmed. So we're running into like, oh, okay. So this is like the question we started with. Like, um, you know, how should I react if I feel a bit weird reading that story? You know, like how how do I unpick now? Like I want to backtrack sort of a, examine what's in the closet of my soul yeah. and be mm-hmm. like, is there some stuff in there? that's causing me like problems does this indicate to me there's some stuff in my heart that doesn't belong like should i if i'm healthy like read this story and be like man that's awesome yeah yeah or, or to put it in like real concrete terms when jesus was reading through the scrolls of the old testament and read that story did he and the fishermen sat around with him go oh, this is kind of weird there's no right um, now maybe the fishermen did but jesus in particular right so yeah so so what we need to do is equip ourselves to answer that question because there's a broad brush answer there which is like okay the bible seems to affirm it if i feel weird about it i'm probably the weird one not the bible Mm -hmm. right um i guess so one question that might be like okay but is it just a cultural thing right was that just like is that what masculinity could look like in their culture but god's design for like our culture is different right Mm -hmm. so then we might need to look at like the rest of what the bible has to say to be like okay so we're talking about one because that's the great thing about the bible is it it uh, crosses so many different cultures and so much history so if the Bible is pretty consistent across cultures in what it says, then that's a good indicator that we can't just say, ah, oh, that's just a weird cultural thing for that time. Mm-hmm. Like it, we're going to have to be challenged. So what are some other 
aspects of gender in the Bible, maybe, mm. to help us like think. And it can't be about King David. So now we want like different time, different place, you know, something like that. Okay. I'm pausing to give Ryan a moment because I think yeah. he's looking we're, we're all pausing up. for oh, Ryan because well, he, he's either just guess, checking his emails no. or he's looking something up on his phone. <laughs> yeah, I was bored with this conversation already. <laughs> uh, no, I, I uh, it, whenever you mentioned Jesus and and he's like his disciples and many of them are fishermen and, you know, either way, they're all definitely men doing it, you know, different jobs just falling in with society in some mm-hmm. way. Um and asking the question of what they would have thought about reading back, you know, the story between King David and Jonathan and that sort of like intimate friendship um, or what Wesley Hill uh, in his book, Spiritual Friendship, will call spiritual friendship. Um, but that sort of uh, just very intimate relationship like that and whether or not they would have thought it was weird. I instantly thought of uh, John 13 and uh, John recounting his relationship with Jesus and uh, Jesus's relationship with the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, yeah. Being John one, that being the way that he talks about himself, that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like there's an intimacy even in that sort of language, but then they're, uh, they're having, uh, a meal together. And he, he says in verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was, uh, reclining at the table and was uh, laying on his, was like laying on his chest. There's a, there's, it's not just that he's uh, just there, or they're all, and they're all just sitting at their separate chairs or whatever. It was natural that they would have been more laying on their side or something like that um, on the floor um, around this table. And it shows the disciple that Jesus loved, like laying on Jesus's bosom on his chest like that's a closeness that's an intimacy yeah. and there's and just all an these expression of affection yeah it wasn't just like man they were all so crammed in yeah yeah it just, wasn't that they, they were just in a, a closet and so or, there was no yeah. other way so they're all kind of laying on top of each other yeah no there's a this real affection this real intimacy between them and at least between jesus and this disciple um there seems to not be any sort of possibility that they're looking back and being like <laughs> Well, Jonathan and David, there was some questionability there, you know, or whatever. And it, you can't read whatever 20th century, 21st century sort of ideas that you might um, and horrible things that might be said there going on within Jesus and John's mind. They're like that. There's they have that same closeness and connection. Mm-hmm. There's a, a physical intimacy there, too, that's non-sexual, but very intimate. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, you know, just to. Say, just to even answer that question, mm-hmm. like really concretely, uh, no, I don't yeah. think they would have read yeah. that story weirdly. Yeah, yeah. I've. Uh, have you got one, Molly? Well, I was going to go Genesis and talk about how male and female in the image of God expressed Him fully. So that feels like it could go anywhere in this podcast. <laughs> so if it yours relates okay. slightly more to this statement, <laughs> I knew we were doing this, so I came prepared with a little list. So I'm going to throw some out. Okay. okay. So, and just say a little bit about these, uh, or some of them. So feel free to chime in if there's like other things you notice about these. Uh, Jacob, like completely different culture to the time of King David, you know, time of the patriarchs, Genesis 33, he cries. Mm. Mm. Yeah, meets his his estranged brother, cries. Uh, Move forward to like Ephesians, 
so Paul writing to the Greco-Roman world, where being stoic and reserved as a man was a, a very dominant trait that was called for. And Ephesians calls for guys to be tender and to be tender-hearted. You know, when we think tenderness, we think motherliness. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't say that. Uh, I've mentioned Psalms. Like, a lot of male writers, profoundly emotional. Uh, Matthew, writing to like first century Jews, predominantly called to turn the other cheek as uh, uh, chapter five and to love and not kill their enemies it's the idea of being someone whereas in the in the greco-roman world being like a retributor like you know and that's why jesus can say like you've heard it said an eye for an eye mm-hmm. you know that's sort of that's that's the norm for a guy that's different uh romans so more directly to like the greco-roman world uh, called to weep with those who weep. Uh, in Ephesians again, the guys are called to raise up and teach children, mm. which we can connect back to Genesis. It always makes me laugh a little bit at how people think Genesis says the women's job is to raise up and teach children. It's like, read your Bible. <laughs> Not what the words say. Yeah. Uh, in Ephesians still, uh, guys are exhorted to be sensitive. Book of Proverbs different again close to king david are called to be kind and uh some so some female ones right some ones that are different there's the classic proverbs 31 woman Mm -hmm. which always interesting to uh, like get someone like what comes to mind when you think for proverbs 31 woman like the bits we remember and the bits we don't yeah like her being like a business entrepreneur never comes up no No. (laughs) and that was that was on my list so being an excellent wife Mm-hmm. whatever that looks like which in a patriarchal society is okay that's another conversation <laughs> uh, rising early to provide food for a household that's in there uh making things making bed coverings making linen garments like so sewing and cooking mm-hmm. that's that's in there mm-hmm. but she's an entrepreneur like a couple of verses later she's selling the things mm-hmm. she makes mm-hmm. and using the money to buy land mm-hmm. so like she's successful like wealthy entrepreneurial she's wise she's hard working she has strong arms and she engages society in social justice so she's like active and influential in culture and society um like that's a much bigger mm-hmm. picture but like b- beyond proverbs 31 women fight battles and win wars even going as far as like smashing a temp head peg through someone's say, skull yeah, with their bare they, hands yeah. and a hammer like so they can sometimes be brutal they do that, yeah um and again not saying like <laughs> they should it just examples the it was box a descript- the bible has for women a description being godly mm-hmm. following god and being used by god doesn't mm-hmm. just look like being at home cooking and sewing mm-hmm. right yeah um you have unmarried which is worth saying because our culture has a higher value on like if you're a woman, you need to be married. Mm-hmm. But like unmarried women who are successful, like mm-hmm. Lydia, the the merchant in the Book of Acts, seller of purple. Yep, um, they show an uncanny knack for in their kind of wisdom of like seeing what's really going on. Like often guys are the people who seem to be reactive in an immature way, and um, and in that often fearless. 
And I think a prominent example of this is at the cross, Mary and a couple of other women. So all the guys have legged it mm. in fear. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that stay mm-hmm. and have the courage to stay. And they can be the breadwinners. Mm-hmm. So like Jesus's ministry, there were some wealthy and generous women who were the patrons supporting Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just like shakes it up. Like yeah. we're talking a lot of cultures <clears throat> across the Bible there. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing to note with some of those as well is how those norms are different from ours, but also different from the ones in the context they were writing. Mm-hmm. So like Jesus is a great example here. As a Greco-Roman male, you were expected to be like hairy-chested, strong, um, domineering, like you were expected to be a patriarch, like mm-hmm. people should do what you say. And from the from a Jewish perspective too. Yeah. So he's got it's hard pressed on both yeah. sides. Uh expected to be sexually charged. Almost promiscuous if you're a man, opposite if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um expected to be a military man. It's like a fighter. And in fact in the Roman world for lots of people, becoming like a military man was your only way to find your place as a male and mm-hmm. be like a true citizen, uh, you know, of Rome. Um and to do things like to cry in public was a mark of not just shame but non-maleness like you're being effeminate in a bad way like or not or failing to be a man because there is a little difference there sometimes failing to be a man can be different from being effeminate Mm -hmm. in some cultures around some things Uh, to show affection towards a woman absolute no 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 even your wife Um, like they were the objectification of the opposite sex was so extreme that to show affection or relationship was a mark of weakness. Um, to abstain from sex outside of marriage, you're not a real man if you do that in the Roman mm. world. And to honour lower class people, so to be like kind to the poor or listen or acknowledge the poor, the orphan, the widow, the outcast, the, you know. And then you think about Jesus. Mm-hmm. like stood in public weeping over Jerusalem washing the feet mm-hmm. of his disciples uh, honouring a like low class poor prostitute in the midst of Pharisees yeah. uh, loved and acknowledged children when no one else did mm-hmm. you know he just I mean he, we know he's countercultural we know his kingdom is yeah. upside down but sometimes we miss the fact that one of the ways Jesus is upside down is he takes the gender norms of his day and yeah. smashes them to bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's got to make us think about our own, right? Like yeah. the, the Bible seems to be screaming like your Western... Uh, um, well, there's quite a lot of, I'd say, Western gender norms actually really close together mm-hmm. even just to go to America because that's where we live yeah. like yeah we got to put them under the microscope mm-hmm. and, and got to think about like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and that's why I'm a little interested like we all three of us have heard people uh, I, wanna, I don't know how to phrase this but like uh, bring cultural stereotypes into how they unpack the Bible mm-hmm as if a certain gender stereotype was what the Bible's teaching when it's not. Right? Yeah. 
Like what's, a, what's some good examples of that? Well, I think it should it should be noted that the, um, I'm sure there is a name for this logical fallacy, but comfortable with the cultural norms that they ascribe to how to interpret the Bible and deeply uncomfortable with the way it, for doing the adverse. So if, if masculinity as described by a more 1950s model of a non-emotional stoic um, sexually charged businessman is what they're comfortable with they ascribe that to what biblical masculinity should look like but then if uh, if we if you swing the adverse and say oh if they're deeply emotional effeminate not the primary breadwinners of their family then they are not uh, being biblical men like there's the you know there's the adverse of that of like they're very yeah. comfortable with their cultural adaptation and then deeply uncomfortable with anything outside of their cultural adaptation even if some other people are trying to poke at culture from the other perspective yeah. so. here's here's one ephesians husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for her so guy it's like you've got to make your wife feel safe like you got to provide for her, make sure she's like feels secure. <laughs> like that's that's not what it says, and it's not how <laughs> Jesus loved. No, it's not how no. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. So it's no. that's a double whammy of like now it sounds like you're telling me like if my wife's the breadwinner or we share breadwinning in our family, I'm actually not doing what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So you're you're putting on me a feeling of like I'm doing something that's wrong in god's eyes that Mm -hmm. actually isn't Mm -hmm. like we just read proverbs Mm -hmm. 31 right Right. but the tragedy is you're missing the actual good thing that i'm called to so that's one example i've definitely heard that one Mm. multiple times yeah or or something like that ephesians 5 is there's a lot of examples in there (laughs) oh boy yeah (laughs) or like why like this one wives submit to your husbands how does that get unpacked? Um, yeah, I think submission has been taken uh, as more of a, a doormat approach of like yeah. lay, like lay. I'm trying to be careful because biblical submission is so beautiful and I don't want to taint that. And I, as a woman, am not afraid of the word of submission because we are all called to submit to Christ. So if I have a problem with submission, yeah. then I've got a problem with the way I show up to Jesus. But uh, the way that it maybe has been taught to me is that I look to my husband to hear from God. I look to my husband uh, for decision making, both major and minor. I look to uh, my husband for the way that I should maybe find identity, purpose, calling, etc. How I should interpret the Bible. I think those have been the things that have been taught to me um, from deeply conservative spaces of what submission looks like. Uh, or just plainly put the way my like what my husband says goes yeah and i bend my will to his agenda yeah it's a kind of his voice matters yours shouldn't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because if you do try and use your voice you're actually challenging and here's the key word his authority yes because then submission becomes about who has authority which really sounds like who has unthreatened power yeah which is, I mean, and I get why we struggle with that, because patriarchy in America and society in America has so made power and authority, like in the absence of healthy communication and emotional 
mm-hmm. sort of intelligence. Mm-hmm. What men have fallen back on to manage their relationships is power and authority. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to extract ourselves from that mm-hmm. and imagine a, wor- a world that has those dynamics and but a lot of others and yep. think, what could the Bible be talking about? Yeah. yeah. But like, um, and just to highlight, because you said it in passing, like wives submitting to husbands is not the only submission criteria mm-hmm. like is this so it's a, it's a good actually good question like are there things that are commanded in the bible where like if you're a woman or if you're feminine you have to do this but if you're a male or masculine you have to do something else and submission is one of those that classically might come to mind mm-hmm. for some people mm-hmm. as like yeah doesn't god tell women to submit mm-hmm. Like the answer is no. He actually tells husbands to submit to wives. Mm-hmm. He tells us all to submit to Christ. Mm-hmm. He tells us all to submit to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like s- submission is a Christian virtue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a feminine virtue. And it's just, and the, but here's the thing. The reason, I mean, it's a twofold thing going on, right? The reason we might think it's a feminine virtue is A, we've got such strong cultural stereotypes and most teaching is male centric, mm-hmm. which is another, don't get me started on that soapbox. Um, <laughs> um, but so it's it's hard for us to read the scripture and not be triggered when we see the word to imagine a woman. Mm-hmm. But culture's also telling us that if you're a, ma- like, if you're a man, that would be a bad fit. Mm-hmm. So it's like reading the story of Jonathan and going like, ah, oh, it feels weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the non-weird way to think and imagine our way through the verse is to imagine a woman yep. yeah and it's just it's a classic example of like culture then being the lens it, uh, that gender stereotypes is a part of our culture as a lens through which we read scripture and might mm-hmm. completely miss the point mm-hmm. yeah you know well and this is the importance of for for one i want to uh, on the m- male side of what you were saying molly like i mean that's tragic and awful but i can say that like i i'm uh a man who is the husband of a very strong woman um, who is awesome. That's not the word I want to use, but uh, that's going to be the word I use for this podcast. She's awesome. <laughs> uh, and Is that because we don't have a bleep machine? Yes. So, uh, so <laughs> um, yeah. And, but so we, and we're both uh, kind of in the same field, theology, biblical studies, blah, blah. blah. We go to a lot of, uh, Bible theology conference, very male centric zone, like you would not believe. Um, I will affirm. I went to an American, yeah. like, uh, Bible and theology conference, yeah. which you were at. Yeah, it's the first one I ever went to. And I gotta say, like, it's different in Europe. Like, I have never ever been in such a white male space. It I was felt it, very weird. Every year is it's yeah. it is insane, and every year I think we, all of us who don't want to keep saying that all kind of hope that like I think we walk through the doors for the first time of the first day of the conference like with our fingers crossed being like Lord please let there just let the first person I see be a woman and maybe that will just set the tone like that would be really cool mm-hmm. um, alas it never happens um, unless it's like one being drug along by her husband well um, yeah there were a few women there but they were always yeah. on the like supporting role yes exactly and, and anyone walking up to them, I can well imagine would be like so what does your husband do mi- yes Not, many of what them do you do talk to 
uh, Amber and ask her like, oh, so where's your husband teach or uh, where's your husband doing his PhD yeah. or um, and just to clarify, my wife's the one doing the PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. that uh, always so reminds it's me always of great that, that she has that. Of, um, like Priscilla and Aquila. Mm-hmm. I love uh, I yes. love as a couple. Yeah. Like no one went to Aquila and or, sorry to Priscilla. Like what does your husband do? Yeah. Like Priscilla is like bossing it in the yeah. ancient church, like discipling people, teaching people, like leading. <laughs> and he's just like, he's he's the supporting role yep. in that relationship. It's yeah. like, it is the opposite way around. Like but, anyone anyone who heard Paul write about them and they met him would be like, so what does your wife do? Yeah, like, exactly. It would be the other way around. And these I days it's, I get asked a lot of questions of like, around the submission piece that it's like, oh, that essentially, maybe not in these words, but very like darn near close of like a, oh, that's really cool. You let her do that. I did not let her get her PhD. Yeah. Uh, her and I both went to God and we're just like, God, mm-hmm. um, what are you going to let us do at the end of the day? You know, and like we, that's because we're reading this and seeing a mutual submission just to Christ mm-hmm. and uh, his Lordship over our lives yeah. and saying, Whatever he's gonna let us do. I'm and really aware as well, though, to brag on you a bit. There's two versions of not letting her. Mm. One is, oh no, what she does just is just up to her. Yeah, like that's none of my business. Sure. Yeah. Right? Totally. Which is not you guys. Mm, no. <laughs> and then there's the kind which is like, no, I support her and I mm-hmm. sacrifice because we feel like that's what God yeah. wants to do with us. Yeah. Oh. Right. And, but it's but let is the language of authority, mm-hmm. whereas support is a language of relationship. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's it's like my. It's my greatest joy in life right now to whenever that question is asked of me, like, wow, or, or that assumption is made that I've let her is to just be like, no, like I was so excited to, uh, you, you know, and I, I make sure to tell this narrative like, no, we met when I was in school and I had a five year plan charted to like do these degrees and she was kind enough to go, uh, you know, I he already had this kind of thing plotted out. We still talked. We, you know, we worked everything out. And I finished up those degrees, and it, it was my honor and privilege to be like, you know, I think it's time for me to step aside and like just do whatever needs to be done in order to support you and make this happen for you, and like give you the space to really focus in on what God's calling you to do and has mm-hmm. gifted you to do and um, is propelling you forward uh, into and um, and to just be uh, and be excited about that and support her and be and just yeah just be there um, and help her in whatever ways I can but not feel but that submission thing is a very much assumed that it's like a, hey women you better get yourself comfortable underneath men's thumbs mm-hmm. um, because it's a long ride and that's where you get to sit. And it's just so, so not yeah. that way. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I'm conscious of the time. Uh, so yeah. I'm just, I'm going to say some more <laughs> about the Bible and move us along. Indeed. Okay. So one question might be like, are there any sex specific or gender specific commands in the Bible? And I'm just going to brag on like, sprinkles mm. embodied book it's a great chapter in there and he he runs through like some of the ones we might think of uh and nearly all the time there when he talks to men or women as a group the thing he's commanding them to do the other group 
or the universal group is elsewhere commanded to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So finding like a specific gendered or sexed command in the Bible is very, very hard. Turns out there are three, well, three possible ones that are gender specific and one that's about gender. Um, so, and, and all of those three are actually really tricky bits of the Bible hmm. to interpret and unpack. Um, and yeah, you're, you're not left with much. So, but it, but then it's interesting. And so we're not going to unpack all of those that I could see that taking an hour, like loads of exegesis, us talking about interpretation, how to interpret them could be really interesting, but if you want to get your full nerd on, find us on a Sunday and ask us to talk about those things. Um, or read Springle's book, which is amazing. But where it gets us to then is my next question of like, why is it then if the Bible does not show a massive distinction between masculine and feminine that the church does? Mm -hmm. Right. So then this gets to like, how does this affect us? What are we missing out on? How does it affect people in the church, leadership in the church? I mean, that's a, right, so there's a whole category of things. Let's go fishing in that pond. Molly looks like she's really got I something on the hook. so many things to say. <laughs> I, I think that to start, to maybe like find some place to enter into the pond is we've got a very poor model of discipleship. And so we don't understand, by and large, huge overgeneralization. But when we talk about like submission to Christ, growing into the likeness of Christ for the sake of others, the pathway to get there is deficient. And so what we've uh, built in the church instead are maybe more comfortable pathways of what a beautiful mix of, and I say I use beautiful maybe a little sarcastically, mix of like what we're most comfortable with um, culturally, what uh, still affords some of our power structures, what doesn't cause too much uh, like ch uh, change to have to be afforded to the person in power, et cetera. We, we want to preserve our power structures. We want to preserve those in, the, uh, in power and authority, sometimes at the expense of what true discipleship could look like. Yeah. And so I think it gets... Um, tricky when we have to say okay if if the bible truly um speaks more about what unity than differences look like amongst sex and gender you know like there's a lot that human beings are called to do mm -hmm. um that we spend less time on and then we hyper focus in on what men are supposed to do and what women are supposed to do we've now driven a wedge between the opportunity for partnership that i think is laid out from the very beginning yeah to say we're supposed to be working together we're supposed to be mutually submitted to one another we're supposed to be loving one another there's so many one another statements and we're all supposed to be oriented in such a way that we're supposed to submit ourselves to christ in order that he might by his spirit form us into the likeness of christ so we can go out and um, be christ to uh, a broken world and we get distracted by all that because we're having all these conversations about what women can and can't do, what men should do, what power structures should still be reinforced, even though they may look a little bit more like a broken business model than it is like true church discipleship. Um, yeah. 
And so I think that's what grieves me the most yeah. is like, if we're going to go fishing in that pond, it actually requires that there's a level and deconstruction is such a tricky word right now because we've used deconstruct deconstruction to be like a tricky word to say. Is that what you meant? Yeah. <laughs> as I'm fumbling <laughs> over it, uh, we've used it as like a, an excuse to, I don't know, just break apart the things that frustrate us, maybe even from a very valid space, but then do nothing yeah, not with the, the pile of mess that yeah. we've done. Yeah. So I, I use that carefully, but there's parts of the way that we've built Jesus's bride to be set up in such a way that affords power, privilege, and authority to a very specific demographic at the expense of a large majority of God's people. Yeah. And we're supposed to be countercultural, mm-hmm. but there's this is one area where we could learn a lot about, oh, hang on, we're reflecting culture and be challenged in that. Right. right? And I think the excuse of, no, we don't want to do that because we don't want to feed into the narrative of culture is where I want to challenge and yeah. say, y- you've got a different form of culture going on. Yeah. And I'm not asking you to look like culture. I'm asking you to look like Jesus. Yeah, and this is the, the this is a a tricky one as a leader because there's an idealization mm-hmm. of like man Jesus is radical but we can't just become the radical straight away overnight yep yeah so yep. so we do see gender stereotypes in our culture and we see them in the biblical cultures the difference is that they're descriptive mm-hmm. not, not prescriptive, prescriptive. Mm-hmm. right yeah. they they show us some of what was happening they don't mm-hmm. affirm what was happening. Okay. Yeah. We, we look to God, like when we want to answer the questions, what's prescriptive, we need to use what God commands, exhorts, affirms yeah. as our filter. Right. And so there's a sort of radical uh, response of like, well, I'm just going to ignore genderedness. You know, uh, like think of parenting. Like I'm never going to buy my kid a gendered toy. I'm going to, you know, it's like I don't, I don't know what toy you would then get them like they've all got gendered connotations mm-hmm. in just our society beige stick yeah just that's <laughs> even a stick a stick is a boy's toy okay. boys play with sticks like beige paper then like, i don't know like yeah it just, <laughs> it's, it's, just like, it's really hard um and and so we need to recognize in ourselves like this is an area for sanctification as a church like we are going to have some genderedness and as we try like when like when paul's writing when luke's writing matthew's writing like they engage the genderedness of their society. They don't ignore it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The difference is they don't affirm it. And I feel like that's where we're landing on like the challenge is like we need to be cautious that we're like we have a high EQ and BQ, biblical quotient. I don't know. <laughs> like it. that as a term. Yeah, that, that, that. That, sure. That'd be useful. I could use that again. Have a high <laughs> BQ. Um, so that we can filter like is what I'm doing now helping me like reach and sanctify and transform culture? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? And so like, I think of a classic example of like the men's and women's retreat, right? Mm-hmm. So Ryan, would you just describe a classic men's retreat for us in America? Cause I gotta say, um, I've never been on one. <laughs> yeah. And, there might be and a there's a reason I've never yeah. been on one. Well, they tend to always be out in the woods somewhere Um, or, you know, uh, yeah, they tend to be camping based or lake based or something like that. Um, Something's got to go boom. 
somewhere during I free time. Um, I want to. Now, as much as I hate this, I would go on a retreat that was named Something Has to Go Boom. Yeah, like, I, yeah. If that was the name I'm of an event, I would go to know to what that. that something is. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, uh, you know, rarely is there any real time to reflect on... Um, I don't know. I haven't actually been to one that ever had like a really good like Bible study based thing that wasn't topically focused around what biblical manhood is um, or what uh, as a recent thing I used uh, sanctified testosterone um, is what they what a recent um, male uh, conference thing I called it. Uh, It wasn't focused around something like that. Uh, One at a a church that will remain nameless. here in town they did a men's retreat and it started with the uh speaker um literally they rebuilt the stage around having a ramp so that the guest speaker could ride in on his motorcycle inside the building like rode in from outside and is like he was evil knievel just like rolling around and doing circles on stage and then all of his uh you know whatever illustrations involved ropes and chains and guns. And it was like, just gag me with a spoon, man. Like this is not like I'm not, I was not interested in any of it. It didn't hit home with me at all. Yeah. Um, But that's what they're usually focused around. Yeah. Those sorts of things. And I can hear and have heard lots of the things that will be said. It's like, yeah, men, have a hard time building relationship mm-hmm. so they need lots of activities they're used to yep. so they can be shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. yeah and all of those dynamics are true in our culture mm-hmm. but there's a difference between saying so we're going to own that as biblical yes and saying that's where broken people are at let's How meet can them we, that's maybe the, the starting square mm-hmm. how do we move forward from mm-hmm. there right yeah molly would you describe a stereotypical oh. women's retreat for us yes You probably should be married or it won't apply to you. So starting off the bat there. Amen. So you get there with your ring on your finger. I'm getting sassy. I'm going to back up. Because, (laughs) and just as as an aside, yeah, just as an aside that I feel like I need to say, just, just because women, um, you know, have existed under an, an oppressive model of what it means to have, be biblical womanhood doesn't mean we're not called to Jesus. So even, you know, my sass is coming out, but I'm still called to submit to Jesus. So I don't get to excuse my behavior just because I'm not empowered. I just thought that I should say that. Because yeah. um, that's feminism. Feminism is, okay, we've been squashed. Let's go find someone to squash, namely mm-hmm. the male. And we don't want to do that either. Um, but yes, uh, starting off probably should be married. Um, and you, the or it won't apply to you is like, that's not just a women's retreat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's often probably... the church, it's male-centric teaching, mm-hmm. and the only time women get a look in in the examples are as wives, mm-hmm. because typically teachers are married, and that's their context. Context. Yep. So um, there's a lot of people, which we'll talk about in a moment, who get excluded mm-hmm. when we don't do what the Bible actually says when it comes to, to genderedness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. But anyway. And I will say I'm I'm not describing actually uh, the one women's retreat I went on here was was actually quite um, life giving so I'm not describing yes we're uh, going stereotypes here. here yes we're not we're, going we're f- almost painting a yes. silly picture yes. to draw out contrast yes yeah 
um, you might receive like a little gift box. Some of the things might be exciting. Others might be like gardening tools. Um, chocolate. Chocolate, always. And I don't like chocolate. So there's Sinner. that. I know. There's that faux pas of like, what is, yeah. I was gonna, okay. I'm, 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 I have so many filters on. <laughs> I, I do want to throw in an, uh, an anecdote of the, the interesting, like, seeming irony is that a women's conference that, uh, I know of their little trinket was like this keychain that said brave on it. Mm. And I just like, I think even that says something about the way we're like, no, we want to encourage our women to be brave, but, but it was brave in a very different way. Yes. It's like, and it was, yeah. Yeah. It's like Disneyland when it's, it says like magic starts here or something like, I, like there's just no context for what, yeah. like brave to, to whom and in what context and how <laughs> yeah. do you want me to be brave? Yeah. yeah. There's, it's just like, you know, you can do it's it. magical. Like be brave. Yeah. Go for that really complicated cross stitch pattern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and we, w- and then, and here's the thing that saddens me is we will talk about our emotions, which is a good thing. Um, and oftentimes it'll, we'll draw on our experiences. Yeah. Now there's even maybe a less of a box for, you know, if you're married, but you don't have kids, there's less to talk about because the predominant maybe conversation topic might be around, um, even in like social settings around kids, which isn't, I think women should talk about rate. That's an important thing that they're doing in their lives to be raising kids, but having eyes to see that maybe not everyone is raising kids in that season of life. And so, you know, not taking the majority social dynamic as the only social dynamic that can exist. And yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to, where's it going to be in the woods campaign? Uh, no, no, I think we'd be in a nice retreat center with air conditioning, um, a pool with a pool and cocktails, mocktails. Yeah. Yeah. Cause because we still don't know how to do alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's a different <laughs> Another podcast. Too. And here's the thing. I didn't describe a weekend that I wouldn't necessarily not want to go on. I just wonder if that, if the retreat was a space to learn silence, solitude, encounter with God and community and fellowship with one another and discovering identity, not just uh, of the classical cultural female as ascribed into the Bible. You know, like... the those are the things that I feel like are missing as far as ingredients into Mm -hmm. like, if it's an opportunity for discipleship and for fellowship, there's maybe a miss because we're prior we're preoccupied and prioritizing maybe the classically feminine experiences that tend to isolate those that don't resonate with that predominant feeling. And that, I mean, when, when people take a look at our, like my marriage with my husband, Jake, he's the, emotional poet who's very um very talented in art and in music um and i'm the like dominating uh driven ice queen as some people call it you know you'll catch me crying once every two years and like you know like they don't have a box for us because i am a female who maybe is described more masculine in culture context and he's a male who's more feminine um but we like we love one another. I respect and honor him. He respects and honors me. I love that he draws out in me something that I don't naturally have and vice versa. We complement each other really well. Um, we're partners in, in life and ministry. We mutually submit to one another and it's beautiful. So, you know, I've been to those spaces sometimes feeling isolated because I want a career and yada, yada, yada. He's felt isolated in those spaces because he would rather 
talk about how someone is doing in their life and create a safe space for true confession to take place if necessary mm-hmm. and do you know spiritual yeah. friendship with one another and that tends not to happen on a man's retreat yeah, a male yeah. retreat and you know me talking about my career might be might I make few people feel uncomfortable with like my life choices and yeah. so there needs to be a bigger box for mm-hmm. yeah and it's it almost like as in culture, we often have norms about how to relate to one another. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're at a women's retreat and people expect it, like the thing you're, oh, you're like married, but you don't have kids yet. So mm-hmm. what you're going to want to talk about is when you're going to have kids. Mm-hmm. And what you want to talk about is like how to overcome like some obstacles in your career. Mm-hmm. Because that's not a like pre-agreed on safe space for conversation. Mm-hmm. People are going to have a hard time relating to you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't fit the stereotype, you can be excluded or feel isolated, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's some interesting effects like sociologically on this, like where social roles are highly prescriptive, um, which think of like 1950s America, mm-hmm. like the norms, highly prescriptive, people didn't move very much, people tend to like commit to a career and do that their whole lives like social roles work roles those things were pretty well-defined rails um you know there are going to be fewer people being excluded Mm -hmm. because everyone's got immense pressure Mm -hmm. which doesn't doesn't make it necessarily better because the people that are excluded are excluded hard Mm -hmm. it just that's a difference but social roles are not very highly prescriptive anymore mm-hmm. that is changing I mean, yep. we watched that change the last quarter of a century massively in america um so the risk of us not having a high bq mm-hmm. and doing better with this yes. is actually increasing at yep. the moment yep. and that's why it's worth having a conversation about mm-hmm. because we are all products of our culture mm-hmm. you know for all three of us there's going to be bits of a men's retreat for the guys and bits of a women's retreat for molly that will be like yeah, I actually like that. I've grown to like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I innately like that. I don't know if my personality could have liked something different, but that's the way I've turned out, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but because those things, the social developmental roles are less prescriptive, I, would like, I think about you and me, Ryan, like some of the best time we've had to relate together was like on a retreat when we were cooking for everyone. Yeah. Sat in the kitchen chatting, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, the the spaces we might enjoy and I, and I like kicking a ball and climbing a tree I don't particularly sure. want to like hunt my dinner you yeah. know I, I would rather have a butcher do that for me and mm-hmm. you know but uh, yeah so there's like bits of us that'll be the same and bits of us that'll be like I I want mocktails by the pool like why don't I go to camp so nice I want a bed to sleep in like <laughs> yeah I feel less yeah. when I have to camp not more <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a mixture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I think growing in our awareness. I mean, it's just these different layers of like personally in our walk with Jesus, not putting what godliness looks like in a cultural gendered box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like yeah, be, thinking like Jesus might break some molds. Other molds I'm supposed to be breaking. Yeah, and not to be like the rebel. Who just tries to find every mold to break 
right. but to actually ask Jesus the question. Because some of the product of the culture that you are, Jesus might be like, that's cool, dude. Mm-hmm. Be that way. That's fine. But some of it, Jesus might be like, I actually want to make you healthier and this is hurting you. Or I want to make someone else healthier and you're hurting them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I like to invite Jesus to speak about like some of those things. Yeah. And some of the people most at risk, just to maybe as like a last little mini conversation would be people experiencing gender dysphoria mm-hmm. right so gender dysphoria is where someone might describe an experience that is something similar to oh i'm in a male body but i feel like you know mm-hmm. i associate more with femininity like mm-hmm. i feel like I'm a, I'm a woman in a man's body or mm-hmm. yeah something like that mm-hmm. which the scale of those kind of uh conversations is blowing up Mm -hmm. not just in society but in the church yep right right and so yeah i mean i don't i just feel like i've talked five minutes i want to throw that over to one of you guys like you know because you've bumped into this with people um and it's it's a very complicated i don't want to say like gender dysphoria is just to do with gender stereotypes right but Mm -hmm. i want us to be have a little enough awareing of how gender stereotyping might hurt in mm-hmm. an extra painful way. Yeah. Someone who's experiencing gender dysphoria and trying to wrestle through it and figure out what to do with it. Yeah. I think a thought that comes to mind um, in a more general way before diving into like the specifics of the uh, gender dysphoria is like sometimes we accidentally um, gender sin And what I mean by that is that we associate uh, some genders struggling with some sins over and against others. And I think it isolates the gender that it, you know, doesn't directly address like pornography, I think is one of the biggest ones is uh, there's grown a a beautiful uh, like bring it into the light posture when it comes to men struggling with pornography um, that's lifted some of the shame which is a good thing because I think shame just drives the sin deeper into the ground, deeper into the hearts of, of those struggling with it. But when we only talk about it as a male struggle, then we've double shamed the female gender who is at risk of struggling with the same type of um, struggle with sin, lust, pornography, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that layer of shame of like sexual sin. We don't know how to talk about it in the church. So that layer. And then the second layer is, I'm female and I'm struggling with this. There yeah. must be something wrong with me as female yeah. because this is a male sin. Yeah. And maybe th- a flip side of that might be like there might be easier to talk with women about anxiety and fear, mm-hmm. but harder with men mm-hmm. or yep, exactly. one that comes to mind. Yep. Yeah. So there's Absolutely. lots of these. And I think that that kind of ha- has also fed into this bigger conversation of, um, like the the idea of shame and the idea of sin being gendered i think isolates those who struggle you know tenfold with man i'm i i've been given this body that's female but i resonate maybe more in more masculine spaces is there something wrong with me and that's shame language there and it drives them to want to get rid of the shame and since there's not a maybe a healthy pathway established by the church that's biblically rooted they find safety in culture Mm-hmm. And culture has um, opened the net so wide, and boundaries can be really protective. But the net is so wide that there's no boundaries around what can be what you can define yourself as, and then it ends up setting them free in a very 
a very long-term painful way yeah yeah and that's part of the reason of like people experiencing gender dysphoria so often feel like the church is the lot like the furthest from a safe space yep exactly and um Mm -hmm. i'm very aware that for lots of people um and like a couple of people i've talked to but just reading about it and hearing as well like uh it's like there's a dysphoria that may be going on for a whole host of reasons and then there's a dysphoria because someone's trying to push someone into a box mm-hmm. and saying you belong there mm-hmm. and god isn't the bible isn't and mm-hmm. that's an extra layer of yep. dysphoria that they just do not need yep. yeah you know well and it becomes I think it would be very easy for someone to think that the pastoral route for someone who's bringing it to light their feelings of gender dysphoria um, for for someone who has an understanding of biblical stereotypes or biblical gender essentialism um, to then try it like, oh, the easy pastoral route is to try and get this person interested in some of those things that will get them in touch with their masculinity or their femininity, whatever matches their body. So this person feels like a male in a female sexed body. So let's get them interested in some of those female things so that their body and their interests can start matching up a little bit. And that is going to be a pastoral train wreck in a day. I promise. (laughs) Like, but that would be an easy, if you think that there are these sorts of stereotypes Mm -hmm. and that sort of essentiality towards the way that we need to behave ourselves. We wouldn't do it with anything else. You would push that way. Like, oh, you've got MS and so you're having trouble walking. Have you tried running? Yeah. uh, Exactly. Yeah. It's as as much of a weird thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. So like, because we've, We've gone for like over an hour, but like maybe so many things to say. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about <laughs> um, gender dysphoria another time, perhaps as just a, a topic on its own. Yeah, um, and and sexuality and some of those things. Um, but here's I, I feel like we've talked about a lot of the risks, but the flip side of that is if the Bible says He created them male and female, mm-hmm. so we're in sexed bodies. But actually, the Bible has a very, very wide box instead of like a black and white split down Mm -hmm. the middle box Mm -hmm. of how you can live as a man or a woman. Then a huge amount of like creativity Mm -hmm. should like we should feel encouraged into Mm -hmm. is like although there's a lot of social pressures and things maybe taking parts of us and saying that shouldn't really be you. You should feel ashamed about that bit of you. Like, actually, it's exciting when this genderedness conversation comes up. If some of those things attach to gender, to think, oh, okay, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, you might be into that part of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, you might want me to embrace with that. And you might have put me in the body of Christ and made me who I am and gifted me in that mm-hmm. area because that stuff matters to you. Yep. You know, and so that that's the more exciting side of this is actually there's an invitation in this not you know to i don't know just think oh what where am i wrong Mm -hmm. but uh i don't know speak a different narrative over some of those things where we might feel 
ourselves like i don't fit i'm a bit quirky or i'm a bit weird and but that's the gift of the language of the body of christ is there's not just uh like eyeballs and elbows like there are so many parts of the body that get to participate with one another under the submission of christ and i think that's what's so beautiful is it's no longer like okay you fit in a masculine box or you fit in a feminine box it's like no god made me intricately and wants me to steward the gifts that he has given me to bless the body of christ to strengthen to encourage to equip all of those things under under his submission so you know so that we get to be unified with one another and i think that there's so much freedom in that is what you're describing it's like i might be an elbow or a knee or you know i don't know we could go on forever and ever with that analogy definitely joints you've run out of body parts i did i know i'm joints today i know i know it feels weird to be like (laughs) could be an earlobe could be a nostril hair quivering in the wind um yeah all that to say there's freedom for us to stop this is getting weird now (laughs) (laughs) yes yes well there we go that, that's that's enough i feel like this is a conversation starter mm-hmm. like to, yeah. to, what what we tried to do today is like open the box to something mm-hmm. um and just good you know i mean we couldn't go through every biblical stereotype and every cultural stereotype and analyze them all um that would be a fool's errand but what you can do is try to now like dwell on this a little bit and be on guard and as you're reading the bible as you're in church as you're just in the world and you bump into genderedness now have a reflex of like asking a question like mm-hmm. is that god's way yeah mm-hmm. and then like just asking the question is going to be really helpful and then talk to people talk to your friends like people who know jesus pastors like people around you um you know as it because if those things are cropping up it could be god's putting a finger on something mm-hmm. yeah and then like go at it with some people to be like what's the bible say about this Mm-hmm. Um, and, and examine, unpack, explore those things. So the invitation's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would just, I, Molly mentioned it very uh, briefly earlier, the idea of reading our own cultural context into the cultural context of the Bible. And I would say anybody who listens to this and goes, well, this is, I'm convinced that maybe I've been doing that sort of thing and want to start rethinking the Bible. I would say just start there. Like, you're going to read the Bible with a cultural lens that you've grown up in and lived in your whole life. That's how you're going to read the Bible and you're going to naturally just place that onto the world of the biblical text. Be aware of that now. That's the You just yeah. have to be aware of it. And like you said, just anytime you read that, put your finger on it and go, ah, I think that might be because of the world I live in. And then yeah. start asking different questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the only other thing I would add is um, I think there's a a beauty in being curious even with yourself as things come up in your own heart in your own soul as you read let's say the the david and jonathan story made you uncomfortable that's okay I, I, it is i think that there is a lot of grace um well there is grace in the kingdom of god that is a statement of fact there is also grace in understanding that maybe we've attributed some of our um, comforts and discomforts onto the text when it comes to you know friendship sexuality genderedness etc I think that maybe the next step would be to be curious about your discomfort. Like, why, why did I feel so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, where is that discomfort coming from? Is it from, you know, the way the King David was described? Was it from Jonathan? Was it from their relationship? And then asking the Spirit of God to lead you in that curiosity um, 
as you have your Bible open, reading, yeah. um, reading what God's heart for male and femaleness yeah. and partnership and unity is. And the last resource, Bible open, praying, and with each other. Because yes. actually, like yeah. you described, man, Jake has drawn out other sides of me. I've drawn yep. out, like, that dynamic happens in marriage, but it happens in friendship yep. and in community as yep. well. Yeah. And the healthier we become as sexed people mm-hmm. who are also wrestling with genderedness, mm-hmm. uh, the more we're going to help each other out yes. as well. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, talk to each other. All right, everyone. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.